Welcome back to the Dominate Sales Podcast. It's your host, Dom Wilkins, and I have a special guest today, Shantae Lane from Discovery Lane Preschool. Hello. Um, again, as Dom said, I'm Shantae. I'm excited to be here. Dom is my good friend. He's my little brother. He's Temple alum, so I'm excited to share my entrepreneurial goals and um, my business. Yeah. Uh, Shantae and I met, as she mentioned, on the campus of Temple University up in Philadelphia. Um and since then, just kept in touch. Both ended up in the D.C. area. And Shantae has been doing some great things in the realm of education um, beyond being a business owner and having her own preschool. Um, you want to tell them what else you do? Yeah. So aside from or in addition to, I should say, having owning a being a co-owner of a preschool with my mom, I also work for DCPS. I'm an instructional coach for early childhood teachers, pre-K teachers. And career-wise, that's what I do. And then I'm also a doctoral student at George Mason University. Yeah, so definitely those stats about Black women leading the charge when it comes to educational attainment. We have a living, breathing example here. <laughs> so uh, today's show, I brought Shawnee on the show um, to talk about her entrepreneurial journey um, to help some of our listeners um, where they may be stuck or to get some inspiration from her story. And then also just talk about women in business. It is Women's History Month. Um, so just want to tackle a couple of issues there. But before we jump into that, wanted to start with a quick word association game just to get the the, the brain going a little bit. So uh, I got about four words here. Um, let me know the first thing that comes to mind and we'll kick it off that way. Sound okay. good? Yep. Perfect. All right. Good stuff. Uh, so the first one is what is the first word that comes to mind when you think about vacation? Hmm. Vacation. A good book. Love and quiet. Okay, nice. <laughs> Always needed. You said one word, right? Or just uh, the first that's word? That's fine. Okay, okay, okay. One I'm word, not playing. Or it. I'm not playing the rules, right? <laughs> Let me do the rules, right? I apologize. My first time, my first time. Go ahead. All right, so this one would do one word. Okay, perfect. Um, uh, success. Mm. This is a hard one. Let me think. Ambition. Nice. And then this could be a phrase. Okay. <laughs> uh, inspiration. Humility. Nice. Yeah, humility. I think humility. People being um, humble in their growth is is inspiring to me. Awesome. And then last one, word or phrase, purpose. When I think about purpose, I think about God ordained. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Good stuff. Mm. All right. Cool. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll kind of talk about uh, how uh, Shawnee got started and where she is now. So we're back. And again, this segment, we're going to talk about um, the entrepreneurial journey. So to kick it off, um, Shawnee, tell us a little bit about how uh, Discovery Lane got started and, and what was the vision at the beginning? OK, so the vision at the beginning of Discovery Lane started in 2014, August of 2014. My mom had expressed that she was thinking about moving. I, I, I think it kind of started off as like a bit of like maybe not a joke, but. 
but certainly I don't think there was any seriousness in it. Right. And I took it actually very serious. So anyone who knows me knows that once I get my mind set on something, I really cannot let it go. So then we started thinking about like, oh, what if we got a building with maybe like 30 children or whatever the case may be. And so then it turned into we were going to be a Reggio-inspired preschool. So in my previous profession, working in a charter school that serves students with special needs, we um, embodied a lot of um, pedagogy or um, uh, practices from that are that are Reggio that were Reggio inspired, and so we became so that became the life of that. We're going to be this mm-hmm. Reggio inspired preschool program, and then it then we had to start looking for space, and so but that's really where the where the vision came from was this experience that I had in this previous setting of getting information about Reggio and my mom sort of sparking this idea of of moving down here and one essentially it was first we're going to be a daycare. Mm. And then it manifested into being more of a specialized program um, into a preschool. Okay. So it sounds like it started out with some brainstorming, just uh, maybe an idea off the whim and then kind of grew from there. And then for those of us who don't know what Reggio is, explain a little bit about that pedagogy or uh, methodology when it comes to uh, uh, education. Okay, so yeah, so the Reggio approach to education is very co-collaborative. So in your traditional teaching setting, a lot of teachers, it's a very top-down approach, meaning that there's really no inquiry from the children. It's like, this is, if we're learning about space, if a child says, oh, look, there's a frog, we're not learning about that right now, we're learning about space. In Reggio, we incorporate um, all, the children are very much building the curriculum with the teachers. So if an idea is sparked by a child, the teacher and the child will begin an investigation with that. Um, of course, we build in concepts such as literacy and mathematics and science, and ultimately those things are embedded in our everyday life anyway. Okay. Um, and so that's really the approach to Reggio. It's also seeing the child as a um, as intelligent. Like they're not coming to this world as a blank slate. They're offering their expertise and their knowledge, even though um, they've been on this earth, many of them for two, three, four, five years, um, they have a they have existing knowledge as well. And so activating that prior knowledge. Um, is, is important. Awesome. And then from a business standpoint, would you say that uh, having a Reggio inspired uh, uh, facility or program would be a differentiation point from what was also offered in the market or a lot of schools using the Reggio methodology? No. So we are the only Reggio preschool program in Southern Maryland. Oh, wow. Um, and um, globally, I would say you're going to see a lot of Reggio programs or more Reggio programs on the West Coast. Okay. Um, it's not as populated or popular as, as on the East Coast, although it's been, um, it was established after World War II. So it's been around for many years. I don't okay. think it's very new, but it's mm-hmm. very new, I think, to this specific localized area. Okay. Stuff. So that's cool. So just kind of charting the growth here. So going from an idea that kind of came about on a whim or just a quick idea kind of then figuring out, okay, what could give us some type of competitive advantage, but also uh, be some something that you get offered different to the market. So definitely a good start there. Um, tell us about the first day the doors open. How did that feel as an entrepreneur? Okay, so the first day the doors open, I'll give you two stories. The first day the doors open when we didn't renovate the space, it looked like, why did we buy this? <laughs> it looks like crap. And there were definitely periods and points of the renovation process because it was a complete rehab of the space. It was really untapped space. And I was like, why did we get this space? This looks really bad. And <laughs> I don't think I cried at all. 
but okay. I was just like, this is like really Held bad. The tears back. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is. I, so then you know the rehab starts coming into play. And you're like, okay, wow, this is working. So then March. So this this month actually will mark two years that we had our license. So we got okay. our license in March. It was a long. Thank you. It was a long process. So when we opened our doors. Really, there we didn't have any children. Mm. So. <laughs> the feeling was okay. Well, we gotta we gotta generate some revenue. We right. have to get children to our program. Um, and we had our grand opening, and it was like looking back at other things that we've had comparative. It was nothing in comparison to what we have now when we open our doors. Mm-hmm. And then the first day we opened our doors to children was in June, mm-hmm. and we had three children in our program. The very first day we opened our doors, and so started with three kids. Started with three. <laughs> we had more in our program, but the very first day only three children. Came. Okay, I think we had like some kids maybe start Tuesday, Wednesday, but. I believe it was June nineteenth. I had to look back, but I believe the date was June nineteenth. We opened our doors to um, our first three first three children that walked through our program, and it was fantastic. It was nice. it was you know children were breathing life into our program, and right. so um, yeah, I'm just as excited as the day those three kids to the to now when we have I think thirty eight children. Awesome. So let's kind of talk about between how the vision originated and when the doors opened. Had you ever? Uh, Least a per, like least a commercial space or uh, you know created a budget or business plan before. Never, never. I never. Yeah, I never had any um, experience with acquiring a commercial space, which is very different than acquiring like say a, you're leasing a space like an apartment right. or um, more of a residential leasing. It's very, 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 very different. Um, first of all, the lease is like 52 pages long. Um, there's a lot of financial responsibility. So okay. we're responsible for paying the um, the taxes, mm. part of the taxes on the property that's representing your what you call your CAM charges. Um, and also, two, our lease is long, a little bit longer than we've seen in residential. Most residentials are one year right. or in a five-year lease. Gotcha. Um, and so there's pros and cons to, I think, leasing versus owning. Um, but no, I had never had any experience with that. So I had to definitely seek out support of other people that own businesses. And that can be an inherent challenge, inherent challenge especially being um, very marginalized as an African-American woman. It's like, how mm-hmm. do you seek, where do you go to to seek information? Because it may not be many people in your um that are in close proximity that you feel comfortable and safe with speaking to about that. Also, I think, um, I don't know many people that have a brick and mortar business. I know a lot of people that are business owners, Mm -hmm. um, but a brick and mortar is, is very much different. Very different. Yeah. 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 Especially because it's when you talk about brick and mortar, probably the biggest difference between that and maybe let's say a virtual business, um, is overhead costs, Mm -hmm. whether that be, you know, rent, electricity, uh, though, you know, insurance, mm-hmm, those type things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how did uh, or what resources did you pull from to uh, to make sure that you were going about it the right way and, you know, had all your protections, whether it be financial or even legal? Yeah. So um, another good friend of mine, um, I'm probably going to start my name drop, Corey Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> He's our CPA. He's also a Temple alum. Um, he was very helpful in helping us become like LLC, and he gave me a lot of support in that area. He also really supported me when I went to like talk to different banks to, when I was trying to acquire money um, to 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 get this vision established. Right. Um, I also there was one person I, I spoke to, um, the director of the Savvy Apple. She okay. is um, the owner of a preschool. It's in I believe South Carolina. We can get that right, Savvy Apple. Okay. Um, but um, she was very helpful and very forthgoing with the information. And she's actually one of the reasons why we just decided to lease a building and not buy. Okay. Um, just because it's a lot when you're first trying to start a business 
to if you own a building, that's it. You own it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have the option. Whether it fails or it does well. Yeah, you own it. And so we have we have the option of doing rent installments. So the owner mm -hmm. allows us to pay twice a month because it's a lot of upfront cost to pay the rent mm -hmm. and payroll all up front um, in the beginning of the month. And so there's a lot of flexibility, but that also we're not liable for some things in the building. Like if the roof needs fixing right. or not, so you don't have to fix that. If the AC unit, which is like those units can be up to like twenty thousand dollars, if it gets if the damages are are damaging more than a certain amount, he covers that. Mm -hmm. So she was very helpful in helping us decide. And I think as a as a new business, I I would personally highly recommend that somebody getting a brick and mortar to lease in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Awesome, awesome. So okay, cool. So just to kind of go through the process here, so. Had the idea, took some action, reached out to some people, developed some mentors, whether they be, you know, peers or people who have been in your industry before. Um, and then you had an opening. You had three kids when you opened. Three. So being able to open with, you know, some clients at hand, that's that's amazing. Now you're in your second year. So how do you stay relevant? And really, that's speaking to how do you stay hungry and being able to grow your business um, in this day and age, especially with my doing some small business consulting, a lot of people, you know, start and then the first six months is very excited. They run into some challenges as all entrepreneurs will. And then the uh, enthusiasm fades. Mm -hmm. So now that you've been in your second year, you're going to your second year of business. How do you keep that fire burning? And then how do you keep your business relevant in your local market? I think one of the big things about becoming an entrepreneur if you're going to pursue any goal is i think sometimes people start off with like what is what's a big idea that someone hasn't tapped into that i can provide or a service or a good and i think yes that's important but i also think that is the most important thing is that you are in you're getting into a role or you're getting into this journey with something that you're passionate about and so mm -hmm. i'm very passionate and I'm living my purpose, living out my purpose every single day gotcha. um, in education. So it's something I live and breathe. Right. Um, I'm an educator when I'm on the clock and when I'm off the clock. I'm always thinking about um, and always wanting to su to support children um, and their families. And so I got into something that's that I'm that, that is my purpose. I've been doing this since I graduated Temple. Um, after I created, after I finished my bachelor's, so I'm very much in something I love to do. Um, another thing about I find that I the passion is really um really understanding that this that whatever goal you're doing as an entrepreneur is greater than you mm. it's really bigger than That's me huge. yeah so i'm serving families i'm serving communities that are going to have a lifelong impact on these children um and so they're not just a number to me they're not just people coming into my space to to um to i don't know get supply me with money so to speak like it's very important that I see that this this is greater than me, and mm -hmm. I'm one piece of it. Certainly, I'm. This is my business, and I'm very passionate about it. And I feel right. strongly that no one can love my business like my mother and I. But this is something that we're sharing with the world. This is something that we're sharing with the community. And this school, my mom does tours. She said this school is this school, this school is for children. Mm -hmm. This house is for children. And so I think that's important. I think you have to be both in something that you, that you are very passionate about, and that is that is you're living out your purpose in some capacity and also realizing a sense of humility and understanding that um, this is greater than you. No, great bullet points. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely true, especially when you think about a, a business that has such a pro profound impact or can have a profound impact on the trajectory that your clients or your, you know, the kids who attend your school have. So 
that's good to know that, you know, there definitely is that passion and that, that sense of purpose behind it as well. Um, and then let's talk a little bit about future goals. Um, where do you see the business in, let's say, you know, three years when you hit your five year mark? You know, what's really interesting about being an entrepreneur when you're on this journey, while you may have very set, specific, prioritized goals, the Lord and people's reaction can shift that. Right. So essentially, we go to Discovery Lane. We got the building in 26, no, 2015. I was like, oh, we're going to be open in September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. We opened in March 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Everything takes longer. Yeah, so it's, and I think too, like, so for me, I was like, we're going to open up a second building. And, you know, this is before we had any parents. Mm-hmm. Well, the community said, we want you to open up kindergarten. You know, a lot of parents are like, we have some do kindergarten. Somebody even said, are you going to go to third grade? Oh, wow. And so I never thought about necessarily expanding the preschool age and going right. into kindergarten. Okay. I just thought about, oh, more buildings. Like, right, oh, we'll right. have, and I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily want to franchise my business. It's a certain place I want Discovery Lane at. Mm-hmm. But I just thought we would just have multiple. Oh, we have like a preschool here in, in yeah. Charles County. We we'll have a preschool in PG County. We we'll have a preschool in maybe Howard County. I didn't even think about the possibility of the business expanding to opening kindergarten. Right. So that's a possibility for the future is that we will um, we will look at opening, maybe looking to get uh, with. So that would take us out of child care and that would take us into um Maryland education. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you're looking at different agencies. So that's something right. I'm, I'm definitely strongly considering because we, in our school, we have a space that we haven't rehabbed. It's, mm-hmm. It could be a classroom. Um, that's definitely a, a, a strong possibility. And also too, sometimes when you're thinking about the future, not necessarily that you want to scale your dream, but you want to make sure that you're, I want to make sure that I'm still very much impacting the community always. And so right. our building essentially is, oh, we're going to have like 60 children. And our space actually can hold probably 90 children. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know what? I don't want one classroom to exceed 15 children. Okay. So I said, we won't have more children than maybe 45. Mm-hmm. And so some people may see that as like, oh, but you're not going to maybe get this revenue. But yes, I certainly I want to be mindful of that because I want to mm-hmm. sustain my business. But I also want to make sure that I have an intimacy and engagement with my families always. That's very important to me. Awesome. And you, you brought up a couple of good points. One was about um, listening to your customers um, and letting your customers kind of chart the territory and the growth of the business. Um, but also uh, in some places, of course, we want that hockey stick growth. We want to go from zero to, you know, a million. Um, but you have to be able to sustain that. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have to really build a, a good foundation for the business to to be able to, again, sustain and withstand the pressures of, of growing so fast. So I do admire how, uh, I guess, mature your business acumen is in, in that not trying to take on way too much before you're ready. You really keep that purpose yeah. in mind and don't sacrifice that for profit, but also um, being able to listen to your customers and say, you know, they may have the answers to what our next steps are, um, especially if, you know, it's a really good indication if they want to continue to grow with you, mm-hmm. you know, from the kids being what two, three, four to, you know, moving to, you know, uh, elementary school age stuff. Yeah. And That's they're people. like at this point begging me. So over oh, okay. nice, nice. <laughs> they're like, so, um, Miss Alice, Miss Shantae, we know that y'all stop at four. So there's no consideration for kindergarten. <laughs> And we've had actually some parents ask about infants. They're like, oh, wow. could you open up like the baby discovery? Lane? Could you open the baby discovery lane? I'm like, Miss Shantae wants two and up. But um, 
yeah, so I have to be attentive and, and, and listen to that to that need. But it was something I didn't even consider. Right. Because you don't know so much what a need is until you get it to the community. Exactly. And I don't think they really knew the need. And right. so their children were leaving our program. We're like, so where do we go from this Reggio approach where right. it's very engaging and the children are doing hands-on experiences? And I share that we also have culinary arts and horticulture and yoga and art that comes to our programs. Like, right. So please tell me where I'm going to find this in a public school. You know, so the mm-hmm. parents are like, so y'all don't want to do kindergarten? And yeah. so it's like a, a, a desire of not wanting to let go. And the children express that too. One of our kiddos, she's going to a really good school, um, Brown Academy. And... Um, She's expressed how sad she is to leave. <laughs> I don't think us, so I think it's her friend, she said. <laughs> yeah, right, right. No, but then no, no, still great feedback. Um, so good, glad to hear and thank you for sharing your story and the journey there and all the great things you guys are doing at Discovery Lane. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then kind of tackle some uh, some topics in the larger conversation about women in business. So stay tuned. back so just to finish out round out this show want to talk about a couple of issues about um women being in business and you know the atmosphere some um issues there that they may have to deal with or some settings they might have to break through and i wanted to start the conversation off with just asking you know from your experience shantae you know would you say that being a woman in business you have a tougher time Yes, I would say tougher in a sense that sometimes like the seriousness of myself when I walk into spaces, um, I can think of if if I had male counterparts were going into banks or Mm. or talking to electricians or plumbers like I have to sometimes to to maintenance our building. Um, There is this like, oh, you're getting the best deal or Mm -hmm. and so I have to be a little bit more serious and I think that when I'm serious sometimes there's comments made of um, are you the daughter or the mom because usually when I talk to the daughter like <laughs> the mom's a little nicer and okay. then, so, and it's not that I'm not being nice it's just that I may express like well I'm going to do my due diligence to uh-huh. see if this is you know the, the, the best um, so yes I will say that in those spaces um, the perception of uh, when I'm handling business or handling mm-hmm. my business can be perceived that I am being mean or what have you got you and then in a in a broader sense um what do you think about the whole me too movement and uh, all of the uh recent uh allegations of you know sexual misconduct and there's just so many different examples coming to light these days um any thoughts on you know kind of that movement and how you know light is being shed on you know kind of the the uh, relationship between women, men and women in the workplace yeah yeah of course yeah that's something that's very um serious Mm -hmm. i think that like any as a woman and also as someone that's advocating for people that are disenfranchised or marginalized or um discriminated against or in this case sexualized and abused is is certainly something that i think 
globally we should be paying attention to. And I think that I had to I had to sort of position myself as an educator and say, well, what preparation, what am I doing to prepare young girls? And also what am I doing to prepare young boys mm-hmm. um, when they go into the go into these spaces? And I think I have to remember that while I'm a teacher and I can make school feel safe and I can have this representation for young girls, um, when they go out into the world, that may not be the case. The world mm-hmm. may not be so friendly. And so um, I want to make sure that I'm affirming and giving them positive experiences. But no, the Me Too movement is is amazing. And I'm glad that women are finding their voice. And I'm glad it's, and we do know that, that men themselves may experience sexual abuse, but it's empowering to see women leading this mm-hmm. this uh, this pact and leading th- this cause and um, yeah women we gotta support each other definitely yeah. in my uh, in my professional experience I guess without realizing it I've seen kind of the shift of women coming from the background to more of the foreground uh, in the eight plus years since leaving you know Temple mm-hmm. um, when I first came out and worked for the Seventy Sixers we had a few women in in sales there. Um, and even then, you know, there were, you know, some jokes that, you know, looking back could be, you know, considered inappropriate just oh, in yeah. terms of how, you know, what, how we would say they would get deals or, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Just making jokes, you know, just trying to be funny, but not really realizing the impact, um, that it could have. Um, but now, you know, with the company that I, I'm working with now, um, seeing how women are really taking a leadership role and then really the, the backbone and the lifeblood of the company is huge, um, especially since like we have probably three or four in high leadership positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even had, you know, female leadership and other places where I felt like they were better leaders than, you know, some of the, the men leaders that I've had. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I am also too glad to see kind of uh, a renaissance around uh, the, the contribution that women make to the workplace. So it's, it's actually pretty, pretty uh, huge. Um, how, how do you think things can improve? Uh, how do you think we can get to a place of, of equality? I was talking to a couple of colleagues, uh, a couple of days ago, and we were discussing or debating the, uh, the issue around, um, equal pay for men and women. And one of them throw out the, the argument about, well, you know, women have babies and have to take more time off and, you know, kind of archaic thinking there. Um, but how do you think we can get to a place of, uh, true equality? It's interesting that you say people say well women have babies, and I think that's because we live in a world that's very driven by capitalism. And so you're going to have to really change some ideologies and those perceptions, um, or work towards setting new ideologies. Right. Um, because there is that perception: if a woman has a baby, then somehow she becomes, mm-hmm. you know, she can't support or she can't contribute to the world because now she has to. Um, take care of this child, which is really devaluing motherhood in many ways. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that's one way that you sort of shifted is like, what type of conversations are we having around uh, women in the workplace? What type of conversations are we having about how we value uh, sort of this or how we how we position hierarchy? Like, right. is, are you, is a woman that's going for her career and sort of putting deciding that she doesn't want to have children um, because she doesn't want that to impact like mm-hmm. um, her possible promotion that she'll have. If a woman goes into an interview and she discloses that she wants to have children in the future, like, you know, that's going to be, those are going to be mind shifts that are going to have to, to really change. I don't, right. I don't know if like one actionable step mm-hmm. is going to do that. Certainly when you're looking at equal pay, me, myself being an African-American woman, being a woman of color, um, 
I'm very much aware of that, like my white male counterparts um, over the course of my entire career statistically will make, I think, almost close to a million dollars more than me. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's something that is and there's actually a dedicated day for that, too, is a hashtag for that as well. <laughs> um, uh, and so, yeah, you look at those things and it's, it's, it's very discouraging. But I think that people have to be very open and honest and have those conversations about um, what are the lags that we have um, here in the U.S. And, and globally. And I think it's looking at how do we view women? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, those shifts have to have to they have to happen. And, and, they, and they will. And we're mm-hmm. getting there. Like the conversations are being had. Right, and, yeah. So it's, it's going to start with those a little bit of acceptance, people understanding their implicit bias mm-hmm. that you spoke to. Maybe I did something that might not have been, or maybe I was right. laughing at some jokes that may not have been. And people really um, expanding their their epistemology, their knowledge mm-hmm. um, around how they view women. That's gonna be and how women view themselves. Right. That's important too, because some women may have been part of the, not part of those jokes laughing, but mm-hmm. they may have been not not recognized, like, well, maybe maybe that wasn't so appropriate mm-hmm. or maybe, I, you know, so, and I, women are finding that, finding that voice. I agree. And it, and it makes a ton of sense. Um, I know a few companies have started uh, making some strides to, to create more of a, a, a fair and balanced workplace, whether that be putting more women in leadership positions or uh, even going back to the point about, you know, uh, you know, pregnancy and, and building families, um, even given uh, uh, more time for maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and it tends to be more in the tech world, which tends to be more liberal. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of the uh, more traditional. Educationists. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It seems to, you know, be behind the curve there. But like you said, as the conversations come up, um, as these, uh, the Me Too movement grows, you know, it's, it's going to be more out there. Um, but no, I think this has been a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you sitting down with me today. Um, any final thoughts you may have on on either topic? Any last nugget you want to share for some aspiring entrepreneur out there? Yeah. So for my um, entrepreneurs out there, I'm going to say that I'm going to leave you with a quote that I live by whenever I complete any test, no matter how big, how small, it's from Nelson Mandela. It all seems impossible until it's done. Mm, I like that one. Mm-hmm. I live by that. Yeah, that's huge. Definitely. Well, again, Shantae, appreciate it. It's been <laughs> great having you on the show. Um, and thank you guys for listening. Hope you got some, something out of that. Um, be sure to uh, go to the website, dominatesales.com, and leave a comment. Um, Until next time, you guys have a good one.